What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the Screenwriting Podcast. It's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. We are in uh, week three now of the WGA Writers' Strike. Uh, I've been doing a lot of picketing at the various studios, been to CBS Radford, been to Paramount a bunch, been to Netflix. Um, and I got to say, it's really nice being out there and seeing all the solidarity and all of the actors and writers. Uh, there have been producers, agents, and managers that have been joining us and sort of walking the line. It's honestly been really inspiring, and uh, I hope the studios can figure out their fucking shit so we can get back to work because this is ridiculous. Uh, it's insane, and uh, I guess, uh, you know, when we've got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. So it's going to take a little while longer. Uh, but whatever, because we're just going to keep doing us. Uh, having said that, today we have another amazing episode on the pod. We have Nicole Delaney, who is a friend and a writer and someone that I've worked with. Uh, I love her. I think she's hysterical. She is such a hustler. She's written on shows like Search Party and Bel Air and Big Mouth and The After Party. Pretty fucking sick resume, right? Uh, her and I sold a pilot to Fox together with Lord and Miller producing for Sony Pictures Studios back in 2019. We're going to talk about the development process. We're going to talk about Nicole's film Thirst, uh, starring Maya Rudolph and Jay Ellis, which is a short you can find on Hulu. Um, and we're really just going to get into the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows uh, of our careers. And it's a really weird time to be doing so because everyone's out of work. So it feels a little misguided to be talking about all our successes, given that everything is on hold at the moment. But uh, we're going to keep doing what we do because brick by brick, we build this house uh, is something I like to say. So uh, let's open the door to that house with another great episode, Write Who You Know, with my friend and screenwriter, Nicole Delaney. Pass. Nope. Matt, it's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. Nicole D. In the house, girl. Rep by Angela Dallas. CAA. What up, what up, what up? Bra, bra. Welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Oh, dude. it's uh, This feels truly like the dynamic duo yeah, is back. back in the saddle. We back, baby. Back in the habit. Um, back in the habit right? sister act too yes you know they're doing another sister act obviously is kiki doing it i don't know why haven't they reached out for to you to write i mean thank you who the fuck do we need to get on the horn ask me if i know every dance and every song by heart to sister act too do you know every dance and every song correct thank you come and join the chorus the mighty mighty chorus okay i'm done no that's fabulous um uh Let's just get uh, address the elephant in the room. We're in the middle of a strike. I just got off the picket line. Where were you picketing? I did a, a little two-hour sesh at Paramount before mm. coming here. That's been one of my favorite strike hangs. It's really, it's such a vibe. I know um, it's not supposed to be fun, but like it kind of is. Is that wrong? You know, it's okay that it's fun. Good, because some people are like, no, it's not supposed to be fun. It, it isn't existentially. It isn't like when you think about the larger issues. <laughs> totally. It's, horrible but i think like what i've seen of the solidarity of the like the like joy that of like being with writers of like i mean even on tuesday there was like a black writers the black writers committee like put out the bat signal i think like 900 people showed up to paramount yeah and a i was like i know this many black people this is incredible and b there are this many black writers in the guild like i had no idea and like for any exec that says that there aren't black writers to hire like that is just like Bullshit. not true yeah and people showed up and it was beautiful and a lot of talent showed up and like i really think the optically how how amazing it is that like christopher nolan showed up you know people of that level the actors um, the celebrities, I'm like, this is how we get visibility, which like when you think about AI and when you think about the way that AI has the potential to wipe out everyone's job. Yeah. At least the Writers Guild has 
the benefit of being a very visible union because we're in Hollywood. Yeah. So people click, they give a fuck, they want to see who's on the line. And like that is helping us tremendously, I think. Did you see that Biden like made a comment? God. Like Biden did? I was like, like, oh my God. Did you see like Snoop's rant? Yeah, Snoop. Genius. Snoop, Snoop had Snoop didn't really understand it a little. Yeah, like, that's he was true. he had he had some of the basics down, yeah. like about residuals. But then he started talking about the box office, and I was like, "Well, yes, but no." <laughs> bring like, it back, bring but, it back. But, but I will take like uh, knowing that Snoop is on our side. That's yeah. that's what's important. And I think like just some of the actors being like, "It's super simple, pay." Yeah, like you've got the money. They're like, "We make twenty million dollars a movie." There's some money to be had out there yeah and like you know mandy patinkin being like i don't have a job without these words and you know odin kirk like all these people who have the power yeah i love i love seeing celebrities out there like that's what i'm I, I, like you said that's what makes us visible and that's what makes people care and ike baronholtz who is also a, a writer and yeah. brilliant and hilarious like he's like i've been here every day he's like i live in hancock park there's no reason I shouldn't be at Paramount. He's like, I brought my dad last week with me. Did you see his dad met Bosch? So cool. That was fucking he freaked awesome. Out. Yeah. yeah. Titus Welliver. But it's like, that's, that's the, that's, I guess what I mean by joy is like, we're happy for now. You know, that's what I said. I was like, let's talk in, in September. Three months. Yeah. But for now, um, I, I love it. I'm going to New York for a bit next week and I'm like genuinely looking forward to hitting the picket lines in New York. Like me and Tony Kush are up in there. Like, yeah, do you and Tony Kush stop in a billion shoot? Like, <laughs> let's go. But I I think like it's it's been interesting. Like, I mean, you know, my, my mom has worked in this business for a really long time and she was like really not believing the threat of AI. And I started sending her articles and trying to teach her like our job, everyone's job is at stake. If we don't at least put in guardrails, like I don't think they should be exploring AI or, or exploring emerging technologies, but like they're going to do it. So if you're going to do it, let's have rules in place that make sure we're at least protected. Yeah. I, same with my dad. I sat him down. I was like, check this shit out. And I like, I opened chat GPT. I was trying to explain to him how this works and like how it can write a blog post for you. Or he mm -hmm. was like, he typed in like, tell me about Jerry House Fetter. And like nothing came up, which is hysterical. And then he was like, <laughs> oh tell me about Miramax. And like like a whole thing came in. I was like, see, dude, like I, this could replace me. Like it won't replace us forever. But what if they replace our first draft step with some schmuck AI thing, mm -hmm. like spitting out a first draft? Like who the fuck wants that? Not me. No. You know? And it's also like it'll be something but it'll never be as good as an original idea yeah it'll never i saw a great picket sign today like um like ai could never have created tom wom's gams <laughs> that's true and it's actually true like that is a character who will live you know forever he will live forever that's how good of a character that is and ai could never do that no the, did you watch last week yeah, the course. scene on the balcony with Shiv and Tom was uh, like Honestly, A plus like, A one writing. When he comes back in the house, he's like, "Get the fuck out of my house!" I was like, "This is like the greatest." <laughs> Go home, and everyone's like, "Oh!" Yeah. He's like, "No, leave." And tell me, tell me, AI could do that. Tell me, AI can get on a set and in the moment think of how to fix that scene. Yeah. Tell me how. You know what I mean? Like, w w there's obviously the whole thing about writers being on set and teaching us how to produce and teaching us how to become showrunners. Like, that's a great point. We, AI can't do that. No, shit. AI, 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 AI can't. <laughs> AI can't produce. No, and I just think like, you know, I was I forget what I was watching, but it was like, it's not one thing obviously that we're fighting against. It's all of these small stacked issues over time that are eroding yeah that we are losing what is so valuable about being writers about being creatives you are a showrunner like i want to be a director like without like the ability to make a living like i will get into it but like i started writing television to have a career same i can't do i, I don't have a career as a filmmaker yet 
I pray to have that one day. But even when I was a kid and my mom was a TV talent agent for decades at William Morris and Triad and she ever since like day one is like, if you want to be in this business, it needs to be in television. That is the only way you're going to have a sustainable career. It's not going to be in movies. You have to figure out a way to make TV because that's the steadiest paycheck you're going to get. And I was like, yeah, right, mom. Because, you know, we were coming up. Not that I, I didn't love network television. And when I think about The Office, when I think about, like, those formative shows for me, uh, as far as my style of comedy, like, I just didn't think, you know, you go to film school and you're like, I'm a prestige intellectual. Yeah. I'm going to make. Boogie Nights. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not making. Like, I'm not like making a fucking. PTA 2.0. NED right yeah. here. Like, are you kidding? But anyway, she was right all along. Yeah. TV is the way to have a career. Yeah. What's fucked up is like that. I truly feel like that's been at stake for the last like four years. My dad is like, there's 560 shows. Why can't you get a job? Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. And to like see all the people out there in the picket lines, I'm like, oh, this is why. There's 11,000 of mm-hmm. us. And there are only like 10 weeks per, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 12, 15 weeks per show. There's only four spots per show. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like it was. Like, you know, I know you were talking about that Peter Roth letter. Like, on Undateable, that was like a 20 to 25 week gig. You were guaranteed money. You got a script fee. And like, it was going to come back. You know, you'd go on hiatus for two months. No, but that's mortgage money. Yeah. That's like real. I yeah. can't buy a house right now. Dog. And I feel like we got into the party just as the cops were coming. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> exactly. why? Why? Like, why? I, I, I would have yeah. gone to a different party. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's tr- well, you wouldn't have. You're too good at this. Oh. Uh, and I'm serious. It's like, there. You know, you know writers who are sort of, uh, their brains are built for this medium. And I'm still trying to figure that out. You know what I mean? It's like I came at this in such an unusual way and I continue to write in an unusual way and somehow it works. Like I, you know, obviously you and I had our our pilot together, but then uh, after working with Lorna Miller, Lorna Miller asked me to write on the after party. And I'll never forget, I turn in my first draft uh, on season one of my episode and Chris calls me and like, we need to talk. And I was like, "Um, this is it say goodbye this has been cute whatever job's over and he goes so yeah we gotta talk about your script I was like what did I do he's like well you don't write like a comedy writer and I was like I'm so sorry whatever you need me to do I'll change it like whatever you need me to do he was like no it's a it's cool he's like you write like a director and I was like I do and he's like you write shots and I was like oh and he was like and it's so helpful for me because I'm direct he was directing all of season one and the after party is a cool show because every episode is a different film genre. Yeah. So I was just writing the episode how I felt it should be. And he was like, keep doing whatever you're doing. He was like, because not always can traditional comedy writers see the scene in that way. He was like, so for me, this is super helpful. I thought I was getting fired off the show. And so yeah, when, someone, like, someone, when someone's usually like, we need to talk about your script, it's like, I'm done. I'm dead. <laughs> But it reminded me, like, keep keep trying to do the filmmaker thing. Like, maybe there's a path for you there. But I don't think I could do that on every show. It was just this show is a unique approach to comedy writing. Yeah. Um, but scared the shit out of me. I was like, bye. Bye, career. Uh, I think that's a nice segue because you were talking about AI and how they can't produce and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so important for writers is like, yeah, writing is just like one aspect of it because you can come up with the greatest pitch or the best script in the world. But if you don't know what the fuck to do with it, mm-hmm. once it's done, it's like it's going to sit on a shelf. And mm-hmm. my credit is to you, who I also find is a bona fide hustler that just like intrinsically knows how to navigate the waters of this town. And that's why I think when when you and I did put our heads together of like, here's a fun idea. Where do we go with it? Like we were completely self started and self motivated. Mm-hmm. And like, do you remember like carpooling from like pitch meeting to pitch meeting yeah. to pitch meeting? And we got like three passes, but the one we wanted was, was Lord and Miller. Got, and yeah. that's what we that's yeah. that was what we rode with. And you're still riding with. That look, I am, and I just got to be a voice in Spider Verse. Oh no, shit! What? Yeah, it's crazy. Talk me through that. We literally have the the line is, "Hey," like <laughs> it's literally, but the 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 character of MJ, who historically is played by Kiki Dunst. Thank mm-hmm. you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. Yep, I love um, her. We don't know each other. And where'd she go to high school, by the way? I think she went to Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yep. Yeah. Word. Shouts. Uh, shouts. Valley. Uh, <laughs> and then. 
Zendaya plays in the Tom Holland version. So in the Spider-Verse, she is literally the friend of Gwen who has one line in the movie, but is a mixed race character. And Phil was like, would you ever do this? I was like, are you joking? Like, I've been wanting to get into voiceover my entire life. And so I got to do one one line. Did you really get in the fun. booth? Like, did you, were you doing it on booth, Zoom or were you on like- Got in the booth directed by Chris Miller himself oh. and Phil Lord himself. Like, it was so cool. Where did you record that? At Sony. Oh. Yeah. Is there cool. like a record studio? Gorgeous. Their ADR suites are gorgeous. <sighs> where, like, where on the lot? It's like kind of in this like cool back little. They picked me up in the in the in the cart. Mm. They like drove, they were like, "Would you like anything?" I was like, "Look, I know I'm talent technically. You don't you just treat me like one of one of the normies." It was the writers' room for uh, the after party on that lot as well. Yes, the, it was season one. We were in the room in person for two weeks, and then the pandemic hit. So we were in the room for the rest of those. I want to say. 12 weeks uh, over Zoom, and I had COVID very badly, so I was sick as a dog writing my episode in a fever dream. Like, I have no blacked out. Like, Chris in season two was like, sometimes I would look over at your little box in the corner and be like, is Nicole dying? (laughs) He was like, I didn't know if you were okay. Um, And then season two, we were back uh, actually in Sandler in, like, where Happy Madison was in their old offices. I know that spot. With, like, the basketball court in the back. Mm -hmm. Um, And then season three, we were in Hollywood. But, yeah, in person, you know, I like Zoom, actually. I don't mind it. But I think for comedy, you want to be in person. You want to be able to, like, feel that energy for the jokes, for the comedy. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoy. You and I, even when we were working together, I, I felt it was super important for us to, like, get together every day and make sure it was before zoom even it was like 2019 but just like knowing that like you're with you you're you're in it and you're bouncing things like i i love that energy feel fortunate that we get to work with writers in that way um nicole just out of curiosity what was your first writing gig like your first professional i'm uh, i got my first staff writer job so crazy the story is strange that's okay uh I uh, the first room I was was ever in was Search Party on nice. TBS, which was such a great show. Um, but I, I basically like I was working. I, I finished film school at Columbia, moved back to LA, um, and I am working for Marta Kaufman. Thought that I was going to be a development exec. Um, that was always sort of the long goal. Like I went to Columbia for producing, but at Columbia, you can, you, your first year you have to write and direct two shorts and you have to write a feature in your first year and a feature in your second year. So I was, and Columbia is the story school. So I was really like, I had this thing where I was like getting into directing and like, wasn't bad at it. You know, I was like, Oh, this is something I could do, but was so terrified of it. And I think like, Going to the high school I went to, which was, you know, very like kind of militant and rigorous. I was like, I can't be a creative person and I can't make a living being a creative person. I had a mom who was an agent like you do the work, you go to work in a suit every day. And like that's that's the job. But I can be creative adjacent and I can have cool ideas that other that writers can write instead of me writing them. And I was always it was always fear based. And while I was working for Marta, I was like, I'm going to make a short. And I made a short, sort of didn't tell them about it, shot it over Labor Day weekend, so I never missed any work. Like, my job, you know, I never really, um, I still did the job. It was fine. I produced this short, and the short ended up getting into Tribeca, and they were a little like, okay, what short? Okay. They weren't too happy about it. Why? Because they were like, we want someone focused on our development, not on their own work. And I I, I get it. Like, at the end of the day, like, I was starting to discover my voice and they needed someone who wanted to be developing for them. But I'd brought them this book that I thought would make a cool animated show, adult driven female animated show that didn't exist. There were no shows for women in the animated space. Even then this was 2016. Um, And I got fired from Marta's company and I'm at a party. When you say fired, like they were like, look, Nicole, like, how does, and by the way, if you're like, Matt, I don't want to fucking tell you about being fired. I'm just curious, like, 
how they were like you're we think you're more focused on your own stuff but did they say like we want you to find a replacement or like what like how do they like how do you i walked in there at 11 a.m thinking i was gonna work at 10 a.m and 11 a.m they sat me down and said you're fired oh my god and they were did they say like you have two weeks or were they like no that day Oh, God. And um, so I was scared and I didn't know what to do, but it sort of pushed me into the deep end. Um, I immediately started working at SoulCycle to like make even a little bit of money. And, you know, I can work for work from home in the mornings, then work at, at SoulCycle, ride for free. This is why you're free. a hustler, by the way. Like, I, I'm so, I didn't know this and I think it's awesome. Oh, well, so I go to a house party and I meet... Uh, the wonderful, talented Elizabeth Olsen. And she said, "What? who are you? What do you do? And I said, I work in TV, but didn't elaborate on what that meant. And she assumed I was a TV writer. So I was like, yeah, I write TV, uh-huh. technically. Yeah. Sort of. And she was like, oh, my God, I want to get into TV. I want to start producing. I want to start creating. I was like, yeah. She was like, what ideas do you have? And I was like, oh, my God, she'd be amazing for this animated show. I was like, you have this crazy animated idea, like sort of – based on my life that I want to, you know, I found this book and she was like, let's meet about it. Next thing you know, we, she wants to do it. We're on the phone with her agent. I didn't have an agent at the time. I just met with this coordinator at CAA who I really liked, who said, come back to me when you have a sample. And I could feel on this call with her reps at Gersh that they could smell blood in the water, that this show could sell. And I felt that if this progressed, they would kick me off the project and find a better writer, a more experienced writer for Lizzie. So I lied and I said, my agent at CA is going to call you. Baller. I had no such agent. I called the coordinator that I met, Angela Dallas, who is now my agent, who is my literal best friend. And I said, um, I'm going to sell this show with Lizzie. We're going to do this. And would you represent me for this deal? If we like each other, let's keep working together. If not, let's go our separate ways. But I think I can actually sell this. And she goes, you jump, I jump. Gangster. She was also not an agent yet. So she was like, I'm not. She didn't ask for approval. No, dude. This I, I love this so hard because it's truly like, A, how dreams are made. And B, just like jump in. and You got to jump. Yeah, go. But Lizzie was like on the rise on the Marvel side of things. And she just believed in me lizzie believed in me and having that and having her support um it was unbelievable and we got dan Harmon on board (laughs) we sold that thing in four rooms like it was it was amazing but i still did not have a sample (laughs) and angela was like not even the features from or they wanted tv they wanted a half hour sample and angela was like tbs isn't going to move forward with this unless you write a sample and i told them that you had one but you're tweaking it I wrote a sample in two weeks that I to this day use, and it still gets me jobs. What was it called, or what is it's it called? It's called Mixed, and it's about, like, a, a biracial brother and sister navigating L.A. and private school and, like, that whole world. Yep. Um, and to this day gets me jobs. Good and for you, Nicole. I'm, this is just like... It's a crazy story. And then that's so... you So that's... I, I sold a show before I ever staffed. <laughs> Amazing. And then from all of that, from that short, from that selling that show, from that writing that uh, sample, I um, got hired as a staff writer on Search Party season two. How was that? It was cool. You know, it was one of those things. Search Party, even though it's a comedy, is a murder mystery. Yeah. A like, you know, a thrillery murder mystery. And I, it was the first time I realized like, oh, just because you like a show does not mean you should write for that show. (laughs) Because the things I was watching to prep for it, the law and orders, the, I was watching uh, the OJ, the, the FX OJ show, like all of the things that have those like elements of, um, crime thrillery genre. Like I actually didn't watch that stuff. So I had to do a lot of studying to prep for that job because the DNA of that show, though it is comedic and with John Early is brilliant, like all of that stuff, the DNA of the show, the skeleton of the show is a crime thriller. Yeah. So that was a really big lesson for me. Like comedies come in all shapes and sizes now. They're not just this, the, the Seinfeld sitcom. 
they it, it's so beautiful how much comedy has become cinematic and like has changed so much but that was the first time I was like oh big lesson learned there um but I still had that amazing show on my resume yeah. and from there went and worked on Big Mouth Damn. which was like you know you I walked in the Big Mouth room and I remember uh Jack Knight was like, so where do you do stand-up? And I was like, uh, I don't. He was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm not funny. He was like, great. And he was like, he like didn't compute my joke. I was like, I'm just not a stand-up. Like there are those of us who write comedy who aren't as funny, who are more story-driven, mm -hmm. who write jokes. Mm -hmm. um, but Big Mouth was incredible. It was incredible. It was just like, especially working for Nick Kroll, it was like a master class in structure and comedy and story and vulnerability. He is like such a gifted writer and actor, obviously actor without saying, but the way he can like, and Andrew Goldberg and uh, Mark Levin, Jen Flack, they're amazing. We actually, um, <clears throat> clearing my throat, uh, me and I think, Aaron and uh, Peter Knight saw Nick Kroll because we shared space at Titmouse before we oh, all yeah. went COVID. And Nick Kroll was like in the parking lot and Peter Knight introduced us and Nick Kroll said, oh, what are you guys doing here? And I think one of us said like, oh, we created a cool adult animated show. And he said, what's it about? And Peter Knight without flinching goes, oh, it's about um, teens entering puberty. And like, <laughs> it was the fucking funniest moment ever. And uh, it just, it couldn't have been Which better. like, isn't not true. No, totally. Like, and he just looked at us and we we're like, no, it's about a totally different thing. But it was a very funny way That's to meet him. so funny. Um, because like, a, I'm sure that's like not what he wanted to hear, but it was a joke, and I don't know if he knew it was a joke. But he was probably like, "Whoa!" Um, but he no, he was a, a sweetheart. He so anyway, I'm glad to hear he was yeah. a master class in, in working. No, for really, it. like you, you know, I I would like have a joke that was kind of the tip of my tongue, and I would, you know, kind of alley oop, you know, and he would just slam it. Like he knew how to take the essence of what you were saying and make it pop and brilliant and like that having that kind of leader showing you how like the architecture of a joke and it, it uh, truly like I, I'm so thankful for that job were you ever intimidated because I feel like you know I, I've talked to other writers who have been on bigger shows when you're walking into a room like let's say it's 30 Rock and it's like Tina and Robert or Big Mouth it's like Nick Kroll John Mulaney yeah, Brian Manzook it's like did you have to sort of seal yourself every morning or were you just like, no, this every is where I belong? Like single I'm here morning. And I think when you're a young writer, you're also trying to navigate when is the right time to speak? When is the right time to voice your opinion? How am I valuable to this ecosystem that seems to be working? You know, there's, and then there's also like knowing when to shut the fuck up. Like yeah. that's a, that's a big lesson when you're those first years of being in a room. Yep. Um, like just, yeah. Walking that line of like the value add versus like a know it all yep. or not even know it all. Just like knowing when to dial it back. A hundred percent. I think that's a great point because like when she would get intense, like on any of the shows I've been like as a staff writer, it's like, no, this is your turn to just like sit back yeah. and watch. Let Don't comment. Do you can talk about it with all the other staff writers after when you are on the yeah. way to the parking lot. Yeah. But just like let the adults work. Yeah, truly. Like let the adults work and and you are the one who are who is ultimately ultimately better for it because I'm sitting here learning. Again, it's like the master class yeah. energy. Yeah, if you pay attention to like your bosses, like you can see like how to deal with the network, how to deal with the studio, yeah. how to take notes, how to show run, how to you know, be on set. But if you're just like there and you're like, this is fun and it's like goofy and I can like if you pay attention, yeah. you know, it's it's pretty incredible. Experience. But it was also cool to like learn about animation and and learn how like that sausage is made which is super different like unfortunately with search party i was only on there for um six weeks i think mm. four four or six weeks because on that show the eps write all the episodes mm. so they really just had it it was like it was like kind of a mini room scenario Boo. well they, but but ha <laughs> no but they had like they did have quite a few writers but it was more that the EP, like on that show specifically, the EPs just wrote everything. Yeah. So maybe in the later seasons, they could have used some help because it just went bizarre. <laughs> I don't know if, like, 
and I say this with no shade, but like I couldn't like so, like when like I forget did Chantal like, like lock someone in a room or does she get locked into the apartment? I I, I was like this is <laughs> this is bizarro, and I cord- I sort of tapped out. No offense to anybody if you worked on Search Party. I'm no God bless know? him. God, I didn't I didn't last those seasons, but um, it was still like it's still one of the most original conceits of for course. comedy in the last five years. Do you, you know. It's, Nicole, do you watch like when you have episodes like, like do you watch a Big Mouth? Do you watch any of your work? It depends. It depends. Big Mouth, I did watch and adored. Um, like Bel Air, I haven't. Watched. <laughs> I don't want to admit that. That's but okay. I, I haven't watched that yet. Um, I forgot you wrote on Bel Air. Yeah. I know you recently told me at a wedding. Some some I do, some I don't. Like movies I direct, I can't really watch on a big screen. I have to excuse myself. It really depends um, what the project is. You know, sometimes you're so steeped in the story. I'm like, if I see that shit again, I'm going to rip my hair out. Like I can't ever listen to that line of dialogue again. It just really depends what the project is. Like After Party, when season one came out, it was such a joy to be able to watch each episode weekly, like with my friends and my family and get to like re relive and be reminded of the fun and the murder mystery and that whole thing. Um, so that was really fun. I was, I was just a, a viewer. So that was cool. But sometimes I'm like, I can't do, I can't live through that again. Yeah. It really depends on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Here's a fun question for you, Nicole. Was when you and I developed our network pilot, was that your first experience in network like pilot season or I whatever? Loved it. Tell me, just feel free to free associate about the experience. I I'm just, so curious. I'm so curious to hear about your experience through it. Um Well, what's interesting, like you really guided that process because you had done uh broadcast before. Yeah. And um I really liked the pace. And that we, even though it was fast, we were restricted by a schedule because it meant that we had deadlines and we had to hit those deadlines. And I think that can be really helpful yeah. when you're in a business that's like, you need three more months to go take it. And I'm like, okay, I'll take three <laughs> more months to write this one page of a script that I have left. It's like you, when you're on that fast track, I think it just forces you to get into gear um and yeah i liked that energy working with you and lord and miller was really interesting because i think you and i are both such fans of their comedy that being in that camp uh was cool yeah they had just won an oscar yeah it was fucking nuts they were the bells of the ball they still are yep and um, so every room we went into, it was so warm. Like yeah. people really wanted to hear the pitch and that really worked for us. I think like, especially you and I just like flexing producing muscles. That was a really good experience for us. Yeah. Um, and I think our idea. So what I was going to say is you really, you really led the team. And I think you also allowed me because we sort of based our protagonist on my life and my idiosyncrasies and yeah. insecurities, you shined a light and held a mirror up to me. And, and like, I looked at myself in a way like it, it's really hard to write about yourself, obviously. And it's hard to look at yourself as a character and create distance so that you can write about yourself in any kind of objective way. Like I just wrote a feature about myself. It was an excruciating process because you're mining your, uh, yourself and your insecurities for story. Yeah. And um, it really worked for this show. And for the listeners, uh, the show is sort of like a never been kissed, but set in the world of like a goop. Uh, A young woman who's a journalist takes a job secretly as uh, an employee at a goop like company in order to expose their terrible work culture to take them down from within only to realize like, maybe these white ladies are up to some spooky shit. Like maybe it actually is worth like, you know, investing in self-help and self-care and um, some vagina crystals. Like you never know. But, and I think like the messaging behind the show was great. And I think ultimately that's why we sold it was, it, it had this like, even though it was like 
crazy black woman taking down this company at the end of the day it was like it had a good message yeah and it had all of the fun like networky characters the zaniness uh and you and i kind of crushed in a pitch setting <laughs> yeah i was like oh you wanted nicole and i to do 15 minutes of like uh we did our tight 10 sit down and watch this it was great and um, no, I, I I am immensely grateful for you kind of leading the charge on the on the network front because I I enjoyed that. It was I'll, fun. I want to take another. I want to take another swing at broadcast. I listen. I did last year, and we got a studio. We got CBS. This pitch called Girl Dads. The oh, conceit yeah. was that like Teddy, Aaron, and I, and our producer John, we all had girls. But the conceit being like every TV dad you've ever met, from fucking Homer Simpson to Phil Dunphy, they don't know what to do with their daughter. They're like, oh, do I take her to ballet? And, like, in 2023, we were knitting pussy hats and, like, <laughs> thrilled to be girl dads because, like, boys are canceled. Like, who the fuck wants to have a boy? Um, and we wrote a really cute pitch, and, like, CBS Studios got on board, but, like, we didn't get a producer, and I think maybe that was the difference. Mm. Um, because, you know, I thought, like, oh, it's CBS. Like, CBS Network will just, like, buy it. How couldn't they? It's a great pitch, and yada, yada, da. And, you know, uh, as brilliant as Phil Lord and Chris Miller are, I think – it was very helpful for other networks to be like, okay, should Matt and Nicole not be able to deliver? They're serving as a backstop to this, yeah. and we know that they'll deliver. And so I can feel comfortable writing Matt and Nicole a check for X as opposed to, like, what I thought was, like, no big deal. Like, you know, Teddy Aaron and I, we produced two seasons of Fairfax. Like, we could be able we – could, we could produce you a network comedy about fatherhood, but that wasn't the case, mm. and it kind of, like – it spooked me out a little bit because I was like, have I lost my finger on the fucking network pulse? No, dude. That, and th that's what I'm like. I thought it was just like, you know, and, and after talking to Nikki Schwartz, right, that helped me too because I figured just like every year, like, you know, if you have a good idea and you put a good pitch together, you could sell it. But the truth is like, I think I the thing me and you did together was like 2019. That was like the last helicopter out of Saigon in terms of like, in terms of like <laughs> network, in terms of but network then you pitches. See, but then I hear networks making comeback. Like you see Quinta and oh, like- yeah. That show is, it's all the right stuff. It's the best. I love, I, I dude, Abbott Elementary is fucking great. It's and great. I, it's I think the great. characters, characters are fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like Barbara. I mean, <laughs> she's, what's the name of the white lady from Boston who's like, blah, 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 you know, with the red hair? Yeah, I love Melissa, her. Michelle. She was also in um, The Parent Trap. And oh TV. my God. Yeah, she plays Jesse. Yeah, we love it. That's so fucking funny. Oh my God. But, no, I, I just think, like, she got the secret sauce. Like, she got the, like, she f figured it out, those puzzle pieces. And so I believe that what the – it's just, like, everyone wants the next Abbott. They want the next succession. They just want what's hot. Yeah. And so that's ultimately good for broadcast. Yeah. Because, you know, every year they're like, we want – we want the modern family without them being an actual family. Or we want the office comedy that's not set in an office. Or whatever bullshit. <laughs> that's how but, you end up with like Welcome to Flatch. You're like, this is just like a salad of everything. It, exactly. But it's like when something hits, they want more of it. Like the fact that, that Abbott is getting all the awards and it's not like the berries of the world or Atlanta, which I think like is so deserved and like those shows are incredible. It's like that we're back to a place where a network comedy is getting all the prestige awards, I think is good for the business. T totally. Whether it's Night Court or mm -hmm. Abbott or even Ghosted mm -hmm. on CBS. Mm -hmm. It's not even more watched than anything. Like It's crazy. It's crazy. And I'm kind of glad because I do think everything is cyclical. And for so long, it's been mm -hmm. like, no, everybody wants to be on streaming, on streaming, on streaming. Like Netflix was like the cool hot toy where everybody wanted to have a show for so long. And now because of what's happening with residuals, everyone's like, maybe there's I something to this network game. House. <laughs> you know? Yes. And so like, I would love to fucking make a network show. Yeah. Like not just for the money, like it it's enjoyable and you get to have a big staff and there is money for snacks and sets and guest stars yeah. and rewrites. Yeah. And if you can figure it out, like I still truly believe, you know, if you can come up with something like an Abbott elementary mm -hmm. or an office or whatever the fuck it is that, that everybody can enjoy Lightning in a bottle, it's gold. I know. It's liquid gold. Yeah. It's like, I, and I hope, I hope I get there, you know, like I, you know, 
got to go back to the drawing board. But it, I think it's worth that whole pace, that whole struggle. Cause then, you know, you're also, you're in and out and you're like, okay, what's up next year? Yeah. That's how I always viewed it. I was like, yo, like there it's, I say like an ATM, but like I didn't get the money out this last time. So maybe an ATM is not the best. Um, we are overdrawn. Yeah, exactly. For 2023. Exactly. So what else? Like, what are you doing now? What were you doing? Like, weren't you doing a pilot for FX or like, what's up? I know yeah. there's a strike, but like, what were you doing before everyone took I, food out of your mouth? Uh, I was I was writing on season three of After Party. Mm-hmm. So, you know, up until the strike deadline, we were writing, you know, marketing copy for season two, which is coming out in July. And uh, yeah, I have some development over at FX for a sort of like a, a black Shit's Creek type family comedy do we have a title for it nappy valley oh you told me about this is yeah. this the 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 one i will write it out we'll talk off pod but is this the uh yeah yeah set in uh yeah great it's uh, fun it's so fun great um, i look forward to my staffing interview thank you <laughs> no thank you thank you no that's that's been really cool it's it's been it's been so fun that's it's great. been you know i i made a short film a couple years ago fx has a has a program called cake Mm-hmm. Cake is like bite-sized little shorts anywhere from like 30 seconds to 13 minutes. Um, and I made a short called Thirsty for them. It's a great short, by the way. Where can people watch this? I want them to know. Hulu. It's on Hulu under the FX Cake banner, but it's also on Vimeo. Staff pick. What up? Yeah. Also, um, voiceover. Can I just, can I do some, can I do some Flavor Flav so you don't have me, to? Okay. We got Maya Rudolph playing a mosquito. Yeah. You know? incredible Say no more. we have jay ellis playing basketball getting sweaty i do Ooh. believe he he may just be sleeping in underpants or like a basketball short scenario you know i'm gonna let the viewers see what's okay. up with that okay i just it's, want them to know there's something for everyone no that it literally something for everyone it's mm-hmm. like got the jocks it's got the like unrequited love Story, comedy, basketball, Maya, Jay, mm. well directed. What else do you Thank want, you. baby? Thank you. No, Theme, it's, emotion. Got Michelle Buteau. Michelle Buteau. I it's, forgot about it's her. It's very, it's very fun. That short. Um, and that's how I built a relationship with FX. And Lord and Miller, by the way. When I our, the thing that I remember is like our first meeting with Phil Lord. He was like, "Your short was fuck." I was like, <laughs> "This bitch is getting complimented by like." my hero (laughs) oh my god on a short no less no it was it that short has has been the little engine that could i'm really proud of that one but but kudos to fx because they believed in it and it was a very odd because it's such an odd story everyone assumed it was animated Mm -hmm. but my vision for it was live action um through the lens of the mosquito and maya um you know, Maya and I met for lunch and I'd written the script for her and she's like, I'm your mosquito girl. And I must have fallen out of my chair and blacked out because she was like, are you okay? I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Do you remember where lunch was? Uh, of course, jo- Jones on 3rd, Stud City. Wow. Stud wow. City, Jones Incredible. on 3rd. Jones on 3rd on, on, on Ventura Place. Yes. Great. And, um, you know, Maya, if if she'll let me, I'll, I'll write for her for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That That'll be my only job. She's she is so talented. And I remember um, we the night before I because like I edited the whole film and then built the voiceover around the edit. And so the night before we recorded her, I wrote three different versions of the script for the mosquito. And I sent her a version at like three in the morning. The next day she was like, you didn't sleep, did you? I was like, not a wink. And she was like, interesting. Like she was so like, I think she was a little impressed. That's cool. And so I wrote uh, three versions of the mosquito. One being like, I mean the, the, so the premise of a short is a mosquito who falls in love with a man after tasting his blood. And so I wrote the like horny mosquito, like sort of like her hormone monster version from big mouth. I wrote the um, the the like lovelorn, like uh, deeply in love, unrequited, like desperate, thirsty is the name of the short, thirsty gr- girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the like aggressively, like angry, I'm gonna find you, like you know, you belong to me version. And so she was like, why don't we just record all three? And so in doing that, 
because I had all those versions, I could create a very nuanced character who was going through the gamut of all of these emotions of someone who was like crazy, horny, lusty in love to desperately feeling unseen and, you know, wanting to experience love for the first time, even though it was this odd pairing and this odd relationship. And Jay so brilliantly played it um, that, you know, I can't believe actors, like he was literally acting against nothing. I'm like, how did they do that? I'm, I could never do that. Um, but working with the two of them was incredible. Yeah, feel very blessed. Anyway, all that to say, that's how I, I built a relationship with FX. That's wonderful. Yeah. I was talking, uh, I forget who I was talking to at Amazon recently. Someone, I think it was at the Swarm premiere. and um, Love that show. You came up because uh, I asked like, oh, we, I, don't rem- I don't remember how you came up, but we talked about the... Um, the fairy princess, New York City. Oh, yeah. What was that called? Um, Nobody's Princess. Right. Yeah. Right. Who, oh, were you talking to Jeff? Yeah, I think so. Probably. Um, Jeff Schwartz, shout out. I yeah. uh, love him. Um, that show was such an interesting experience because I, I was rewriting a pilot for uh, that was pre, I don't know where it was previously, but CBS was a studio. Amazon bought it under the condition that they hire like a younger writer and I had you know I lived in New York for a decade and it was set there and it was like um sort of if Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella and like Rapunzel were all four best friends in Manhattan and sort of like taking their unique individual fairy tales and weaving them into a story Um, And of course, when I was at NYU, there was famously this drug dealer named Shrek who, you know, was this cool ass dude that everyone kicked it with and would get pot from and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, sort of weaving in all these experiences and I named like a character Shrek and sort of pulled from my adventures at NYU and Columbia. Um, It was really fun to write that show. And on top of everything else, it was musical. Yeah. And had these like brilliant uh, songs written in, and um, and yeah, it was a cool experience. Didn't didn't go anywhere. Amazon yeah, didn't end don't, up. Yeah, they didn't end up doing anything with it. But um, really cool experience. Never thought I would have written anything like that. You'll just know it's still coming up at uh, movie premieres. I mean, let's go. Um, Nicole, is there anything any any like last advice you would give to like? younger you or to writers that are just starting out like what like what's the one thing where you're like if nothing else take this from me and uh no pressure by the way you know yeah, if it doesn't come to you great i mean i will say this like what i say to people is you know when i go in in for interviews for stuff i i, I have my short films i have my scripts that are a good example of my voice and th- then there's me And I think like making sure that your work really works in concert with who you are. Like my shorts are a great example of my voice and so are these scripts and they all kind of, and then you meet me and like when you, you know, my sense of humor, how I, I, how I engage with when I meet showrunners or when I meet executives, like making sure that your work is a really authentic representation of who you are, even if you're writing you know, the espionage thriller, even if you're writing, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the family, big family drama, like somehow making sure that your voice shines and, and, and making sure that all of that, even like, so funny that my agent the other day was like, we were, she came to pick it and she was telling someone like, oh yeah, Nicole tells me how to agent her. And I think like, that's because I know how to sell myself. Yeah. And like that, I think is is uh, it's especially when you and I were when we had to fire our agents. It's like we were out there selling ourselves and trying to like sell a show on our own without an agent being that buffer or a manager being that. Buzz. I was like, I don't have a manager. So when you're out there and you're selling yourself, like you have to be as good at selling yourself as your agents are, yeah. if not better. Yep. And your work has to also do that legwork, and. That is the best advice I can give people is just, again, making sure all of those things work together to help you get that job and like be the memorable person 
when people are like, who are we going to hire? We only have two spots. And it goes beyond like, well, we have only one spot for a black woman or a woman of color or a queer person or something. It's like, no, you want to be number one on that list, no matter what demographic you're hitting. Yep. Um, And yeah, to me, it's like how to sell yourself outside of the people that represent you because you're the you're the last line of defense. I think that's the some of the best advice anybody's ever given on this show because I truly do believe that, you know, like being a salesman. You're is, a salesman. Totally. It, it's like and it's antithetical to being a writer because you sit in a room alone, um, you know. Yeah, that's true. For the most part. And you have to get out there and like put on a show like a pitch is literally like a 15 minute stage play. Yeah. You know, like it's it needs to come off as unrehearsed and mm-hmm. like colloquial. But you know, it's like word for word, you know. Well, that, it's not such a strange part of writing is that you have to perform yeah. for these pitches. And like, it, that's why it was so great, you know, pitching our show because I'm like, oh, thank God I have someone who can lift me up if I'm not doing, if I'm not hitting the joke. It's like you have someone there yeah. to help you get across the line. But when you are pitching on your own and these sometimes it's like huge people in the room and you're I'm just like sweating. That's honestly why Zoom pitches are amazing because no one can see the puddle of water of sweat underneath my chair because we're not meant to perform necessarily. Yeah. It's like not what we're good at. Yeah, not everybody is John Mulaney and Nick <laughs> I wish. Um, but yeah, that that's really what I would say is like make sure you are the one that knows how to pitch yourself the best because you never know who you're going to meet. I was like listening Lizzie to your Olsen. episode. Lizzie Olsen, I was listening to your episode with Nikki and you're like at a funeral and there's all these people there from CBS. You don't know yeah, who could change your life instantly. Yeah. That's why I say like, they said we can't write. They, they didn't say you couldn't network. So like, yeah, I'm going to be, on, <laughs> I'm going to be on the picketing line, but like I am out there looking to make connections. It's true. The picket line is where the party's at. I'll leave you with that tweet. You see that tweet that's like, what are the 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 lo- the vibes at every picketing location? No, what is it? It was like Disney, like a lovely stroll through the park. Um, uh, and then I think it said, Netflix is a friendly riot. Paramount horny. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fucking funny. And it's true. Yeah. Well, Nicole, thank you for coming over here. Thank you for having me. I look forward to done already. I'm so sad. I mean, like, yeah, we did a good hour. You know, I uh, shortest hour of my life. Well, let's let's keep developing. Let's find another network pitch to sell when this is over, my dog. Let's go. Let's go. I love it. This Uh, has been a blast. Yeah, Nicole. uh, Anything else you want to promote while you're here before we sign off? Um, gosh, just watch After Party in July. Apple TV. Yeah, that's what's up. It's funny. Watch season one. Okay. Watch Bel Air. Okay. Watch Big Mouth. Uh huh. Um, watch Thirsty on Hulu. Watch Thirsty Hulu or Vimeo. Mm-hmm. My Rudolph shout. That's what's up. That's it. I want to call. Have a beautiful weekend. Oh, by the way, the Lakers are playing tonight. It's do or die. I'm going. Oh shit. Okay. All right. So oh already- yeah, that's the one thing because I don't have kids or a mortgage. I invested in season tickets for the Lakers. Oh, that's incredible. I didn't know you had season tickets. Yeah. Wow. Don't tell anyone. I won't. Who's going tonight with you? Uh, my friend Taylor, who I share the tickets with. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm very excited. All right. Well, have a great night. Thank you. Go Lakers. Ooh, ooh.